My guest today is Dennis Porter, who is a leader at the intersection of Bitcoin and public policy. He is the co-founder and CEO of Satoshi Action Fund and president and founder of Satoshi Action Education. Satoshi Action Fund launched in June of 2022 and during its first year introduced nine bills in seven states, with two of these bills thus far becoming law. Since the launch of Satoshi Action Fund, Dennis launched Satoshi Action Education, which is focused on delivering data-backed, peer-reviewed research on Bitcoin and proof-of-work. So if you're someone listening that sits at the intersection of politics and Bitcoin, and you're interested in learning more about it, or maybe even consider working full-time in this space, consider listening to this episode all the way through, because Dennis gives out a ton of advice on how he would go about working full-time in the Bitcoin industry. So let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Talent Co. podcast. I'm your host, Eric Podwatchki, and today I'm joined by my friend, Dennis Porter, who is the CEO and co-founder of the Satoshi Action Fund. Dennis, thanks for joining me. Eric, uh, it's great to be here with you. Uh, we have uh, known each other for a little while in the space, probably one of the longer people I've known since I've been in the Bitcoin space on a, on a personal note. Um, mm -hmm. So glad to be on the show. Yeah, thanks for joining me and taking some time today. So let's dive in. Uh, I'm curious, before all this Bitcoin stuff took over your life like it did mine, what were you doing professionally? And, you know, include where you went to school, what you study. Uh, yeah, what was your life like before Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, a, a very a non-traditional path for me, that is uh, for sure. I, I never finished high school. I ended up getting a GED because my family moved. We were moving back and forth so much and moving around so much when I was young. Uh -huh. um, I, lived, I lived in Mexico for three years at one point. Um, my parents did uh, nonprofit work there and started like self-teaching myself, which was kind of fine for me because, you know, I grew up from, I think it was like second grade to sixth grade being homeschooled. So I was kind of used to that dynamic, but a lot of the moving back and forth ended up make, making me kind of fall behind my peers. So I decided to get my GED and then I went right to college where I promptly dropped out because I realized that I just do not like school. So I, I decided to go right into the workforce. I'm not necessarily saying that uh, everyone else should, should drop out of school and, and only get a GED, but uh, that was the path that I took. Um, but after that, you know, really started just trying to get to work, trying to do what I could to survive out there in the space. Had a lot of different jobs that I bounced around to. I probably had more W-2 jobs than uh, most people will ever have in their entire life within a very short period of my whole life itself. Like, you know, um, uh, you can definitely count it on, on two hands. Mm -hmm. And never really found a great place for myself, tried so many different things out and gained a lot of experience, which I will say, if you, if you do anything in life, especially early on, the thing that I can encourage the most is just don't really con concern yourself too much with where you're going specifically, unless you know, you want to be a doctor, you know, you want to be a lawyer, mm -hmm. uh, you really have that set, that sort of thing set forward, just start taking the opportunities that come to you and absorb the experiences that you can. Because a lot of the things that I've done in my life, oddly enough, like always, you know, add value future in the future. One example would be like, at one point I decided to get really, uh, you know, engaged in being, having like a political career. I'd always loved politics my whole life. I grew up with my dad, uh, really, really engaged in the political conversation. Uh, you know, we're, we, every car ride, we were listening to talk radio and we talked back and forth about, you know, the, the political dynamic. And that really had a big impact on me. And, and, and as a very young guy, I always was very much interested in the political space, but never really tried to get politically involved until a little bit later in my life. And even though that, that 
kind of short political career. It uh, didn't last very long. It had a lot of impacts on me because I figured out a couple of things. One was that I'm really good at it. Mm-hmm. And that also that I had this opportunity now to be able to impact the world in a way that I never really saw possible before. And that carried forward into where I am today with Bitcoin, right? Like mm-hmm. I jumped in. The first thing I did in the Bitcoin space was I jumped in and I was like, I'm going to get on a clubhouse. I'm going to start talking about Bitcoin. I am going to start making sure that I'm able to voice what I think is the right direction for Bitcoin and where I think that the, that other people's need to where what I think other people need to know about Bitcoin. And that transitioned eventually into a podcast. But very mm-hmm. shortly after that, I realized there was not very much engagement within the political world. There a lot of Bitcoiners really saw that we did not need to participate in political engagement that we did not need to have conversations with politicians, that politics is a scam, you know, go, you can go on and on. Well, because of the background that I had in politics and the experience that I had, and, and that's long-term experience with, you know, having those conversations with my father, listening to talk radio, watching the development of the, of the political space over time, had a really strong understanding of the way, um, especially new industries develop and move through the political system. And so as time went on, I realized there was a very distinct need for Bitcoiners to become more politically active. Started talking about it a lot and realized that I needed to put action behind my words. I couldn't just sit there and say Bitcoiners need to be more politically engaged. Mm -hmm. I realized that I needed to set an example for at least for myself, if not for the whole community. And that's when I decided to start really dialing up the notch on that activity. It started with educating candidates members of Congress, various people within various departments of government, whether that be a local level, state level, city level, as much as I possibly could. But I still realized that 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 wasn't enough. And I came to the conclusion that I needed to launch my own political organization. Now, I tried to collaborate with several different people on launching this type of an organization, being involved with their effort. None of it really worked out. I I ultimately realized I needed to do it myself. Um, I did end up launching with a couple of my co-founders, and in June of last year, we're at our official uh, one-year anniversary, we launched Satoshi Action Fund. Mm-hmm. And when Satoshi Action Fund launched, it was in the middle of the bear market. So one of the hardest things that we faced was we were trying to ask for money before we had actually done anything. Because unfortunately, and this is probably something most people know, just like with any you know business in the political world, you kind of you need money to be able to mm-hmm. operate. Um, and so... In order to us to get anything done, we we were like, okay, like give us money and then we'll go get something done. Because the bear market was so strict, there was just very it was very difficult to get ourselves in a position where we could prove that we were worth giving money to. Right? Yeah, Dennis Porter, he's got his Satoshi Action Fund. That's great. You know, we know who he is on his podcast, on his, on on Twitter and all that. But in the middle of a bear market, people are looking for survival mode, and they're not looking to allocate resources towards brand new organizations that have no sort of track record. So what I decided was in that moment was that we needed to go out and regardless of our ability to be able to even pay the bill, pay my own bills, Mm -hmm. um, that we needed to go out and put our own proof of work out into the space. So we worked very aggressively to be able to advance Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining. Luckily, we were able to get small amounts of funding from some of our critical and key early partners, um, very small amounts of money, but it was just enough to be able to get the work done that we needed to do to be able to prove that we were an organization that could be effective. Because if 
all else fails, a political organization must at the very least be able to prove that they can get things done because what are you paying for if you can't get anything done? That's the whole kind right. of purpose of, of kind of funding these types of political organizations. Sometimes it's for clout. Generally speaking, people want to see results, especially mm-hmm. in the Bitcoin space where proof of work matters the most. So just to put a bow on all of this, Satoshi Action Fund came about because of my understanding of the political space, which came about because of my experience that I, I went through uh, in my early career in the political world that came about because I was just willing to try out new things. So that, kind of my whole point with this is to say that in general, it's really important, I think, that people realize the value of just going out and trying new things. And if you fail, who cares? Who gives a damn? Like, keep trying new things until you find something um, that works. And yeah. now Satoshi Action Fund is working. We've successfully hired multiple folks onto our organization. We are now passing laws in multiple states. We passed our rights to mind bill in Montana and in Arkansas. And we are now getting all other states reaching out saying, hey, how do we pass this in our state? And how do we work forward the policies that we want to work forward in order to be successful? So um, I'll pause there, but I, I think that is probably a pretty long intro on to how I got to where I am today. It could probably be a little longer, um, but that's the that's the basic details of yeah. that entire trajectory. You guys are about a year in now, and honestly, you're making some real world impact. I saw you have two different bills that got passed. Uh, I think one was in Montana, one was in Arkansas, right? Yep. Yeah. So you guys are literally doing uh, Satoshi's work out there. And what I want to dive into more here is that idea that you brought up of proof of work, you know, putting in the work, providing value, and kind of just navigating within the Bitcoin industry because it's still so new. So maybe you can dive a little more into like, what was your, what did you initially try doing in the Bitcoin space? I know you brought up Clubhouse. What was your journey like trying out different projects and then eventually landing on uh, what you're doing now? Uh, Yeah, I, I, I would have to say that I very early on in my Bitcoin career, I always realized or desired to have a real world impact and to add value. Like that was where I came from, this place of wanting to add value. And early on, it started by just speaking about Bitcoin and teaching others about Bitcoin um, through Clubhouse, right? I just got on there every morning and was speaking about it. And then I had plans to launch. No, sorry to cut you off. Clubhouse is just an app where basically it's like Twitter spaces. (laughs) You can go in and just talk to an audience and anyone can listen in. So Dennis, back in the day, a couple of years ago, would go up every single day, constantly talk to newbies about Bitcoin and and teach them the the basics, essentially. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a good uh, notation there that, uh, especially because Clubhouse is less popular today than it was when yeah. it first launched. Now you see Twitter Spaces, which is uh, was is a big part of actually my my political career was transitioning to Twitter Spaces when everybody else was still on Clubhouse. But um, mm. uh, I did also have a podcast which I launched, which which was really valuable. I mean, I'm not podcasting anymore. I don't I don't I don't ever record podcasts right now. Maybe I'll do it again in my future. I'm not opposed to it. I really like podcasting, and I think it was a very big stepping stone to where I am today because Mm -hmm. the relationships that I built and the contacts that I built through that effort helped put me into a better position to be successful with Satoshi action fund. But yeah, I, I thought, Hey, I'm going to be on podcasts. I'm going to, I'm going to have conversations with politicians and with folks in the, in the political world. And that will be how I drive more engagement. But I just realized that like, no one's going to go out there and, and essentially uh, make give life to this vision that you see where Bitcoiners are highly engaged in the political process. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's your vision and you can't expect someone else to go out and make it a reality. And there are, I mean, I mean, there's still plenty of Bitcoiners who think we shouldn't be politically engaged at all. And, you know, I would say to them that, you know, a couple of challenges to that would be that, you know, if you like what's happening in El Salvador, I can't, not all Bitcoiners do, uh, mm-hmm. but if you like what's happening in El Salvador, if that's, if you're one of those Bitcoiners, um, that's a very political process. The yeah. people that are, that are engaged in that effort, it's highly political. Um, yeah. If you want to see your country become a leader on Bitcoin, it requires becoming highly politically engaged. It does not require sitting on our hands and you know, kind of watching it all burn to the ground, which is which is an unfortunate viewpoint that some um, still have. And I would I would love to convince them that that's not the best way forward, the best possible route forward for Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. The other would be my other uh, small point here would be that you know in order for us to have the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the things that enshrine and protect our our rights, our individual rights and our individual liberties, um, you know, the founding fathers and the various uh, folks that have come and gone within the political system within, you know, the United States got highly politically engaged, highly active. Founding fathers were some of the most politically active people uh, in America's history. So mm-hmm. it, I just like to highlight that if you want the world to be different, buying Bitcoin is great. And I think holding it is important potential value in there because you can exit that financial system. But you as an individual are still in, you know, what people call the meat space. You as an individual are not able to exit the real world. Like you're still here. Um, And so if you want that real world that we live in, not the digital world, the real world where we all live in to go a certain direction, um, buying Bitcoin, I think is, is a big part of that effort, but also Finding ways to add external value to Bitcoin is also important as well, whether that be building a Bitcoin business, which I think is a huge part of this. Now, owning Bitcoin is great. Building a Bitcoin business is huge. That massively influences the political system when you build a Bitcoin business, um, especially if it's a Bitcoin mining business. I love, mm-hmm. I'm love. i a big fan of Bitcoin miners. As For those of you that don't know, Satoshi Action Fund has a very distinct focus on, on Bitcoin mining. Um but the other way is to get involved in the political process. And I know a lot of people feel very disenfranchised by the political process. And so they just, they default to not doing that, to not being engaged, to disengaging. Um, I would tell, I would, I would caution against that approach because when we completely disengage from the political process, we leave the political process to be ran by people that are not Bitcoiners, are not mm-hmm. in, agree- in agreement with the way we see things. So, and I'm not saying that I agree with everything that all the Bitcoiners in the in the Bitcoin community agree with, but if you strongly hold a value, you should be actively pursuing a way to engage the political system and push forward those values. So that I'll, I'll leave, that's my uh, my soapbox for the political, mm-hmm. um, the political rant for now. Um, but yes, we've had a lot of success um, through Satoshi Action Fund and, and becoming politically active and passing right to mind. And this is really just the beginning for our organization. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, still early days here. Uh, I usually ask this question at the end of the podcast, but since you brought it up here, I'm curious, what's like one piece of advice you give to someone that's a Bitcoiner and interested in politics that wants to start adding value to the Bitcoin space? What can they do immediately right now? The first thing, yeah, well, I would say if you have a background, a talent set, or you have um, a vision or a passion for a specific area of Bitcoin, one of the most valuable things that you can do is either start building it yourself, which I personally advocate for the most. You have a lot of sovereignty, you know, so to speak, over Mm -hmm. your direction and over the way things, you know, way things occur. You can make the decisions because it's your organization, it's your entity. 
um, if you don't feel like you're in a position to, to launch your own organization, you don't, you don't, you kind of have to know that you want to do that. You have to know you're ready to do that. It actually took me multiple uh, attempts of trying to do it with other people for me to realize that I absolutely needed to do it by myself. So I wasn't even ready, even when I realized that we needed this thing, when I needed to create something needed to be created, political organization needed to be created. I personally wasn't ready in my own, like, I don't know what you want to call it, my heart or whatever, like ready for that decision. Mm. Once I worked through a couple of failed efforts, then I made that call. So you'll know if, if you know you're ready for to start something, you'll know, like, it's not something you have to second guess. Um, on, if you're not ready though, let's say you can't make that decision. That's fine. Don't force mm. yourself to do it. Um, I would say that the best thing that you can do is to start communicating with folks that are within those sorts of industries or that sort of, um, that practice, whether that be like wallet design, whether that be working with lightning, whether that be Bitcoin mining, whether that be politics, doesn't matter what it is. Find someone who's doing that really, really well and just go offer to help them in any way possible. Uh, it's particularly valuable for someone who get, who get, does get inbound uh, requests on for, you know, people are always like, hey, you know, how can I help Satoshi Action? I'm always trying to find ways for them to help the organization. But generally, it's good to come with like, what is your skill set? And like, mm -hmm. or like, what is the thing that you want to see happen? And the vision that you have, because two of the people that we have that are working for us full time right now, or one of them is working towards that position, and likely will be in somewhat of like a, um, I don't know if you would call it an employment position, but it'd be more of a full time, somewhat of a full time position. Uh, uh -huh. Both of those people started off with our organization working for free, completely free. And like, just, they saw a vision, they saw something that needed to happen and they saw that it could, ha it could be manifested through the work that's happening at Satoshi Action. And they started working for free and, and not, neither of us necessarily knew if they were going to get hired, um, but eventually worked towards that. And now one is full-time. The second one is working towards um, that position as long as our, you know, essentially, essentially as long as our funding works out, which we believe it, it will on our end. So yeah. um, that's my biggest piece of advice to someone. If you aren't in a position to be, leading and starting and championing a, a, a company um, to be the CEO of a company, go find someone who is and just offer to help them. Um, and if you don't have any experience or skills at all, just say that. Just say, you know, I, I don't have any sort of experience or, or skills, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to show that I'm willing to add value and want to add value. And that's that goes a long way as well to folks that are in you know hiring yeah. positions. I would totally agree. That's honestly great advice. So reach out to someone like Dennis and don't even just ask, hey, do you need help? Go the next step too. It's it's a, here's how I can provide value. Here's my skills and experience. And here's what I want to do in, in this Bitcoin, I guess, political realm, if you will. Uh, and from there, yeah, I think good things will happen. I'm sure Dennis and other uh, leaders in the space are very receptive to that type of offer. So nothing's holding you back. You just got to make the effort to do the initial reach out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, just do the reach out, and you might get some trial and error. Most people will be pretty respected, respectful of the fact that you're willing to um, work and not get paid. And believe me, if you if you start adding enough value to the organization, like that person will have to eventually hire you. Like, that's just yeah. kind of the way the dynamic. Like, they're gonna want to keep you around. They're gonna be right. like, oh my gosh, is this this person might go away. I, I I need to make sure they don't go away. How do I make sure I do that? Well, generally that, you know, results in some sort of an employment a, a lot mm -hmm. of times, not always. And I've had a lot of volunteers where it didn't work out, where we tried to work on projects where um, it seemed like it made a lot of sense in the beginning. And 
and it just kind of um, uh, didn't end up working out between us. So um, I would say that there's a there could be a lot of trial and error there. So don't be afraid to to go out, try and not have it work. You'll gain experience from that situation and you can carry always carry that experience forward um, to the next situation or environment that you're in. Right. Exactly. I couldn't be more spot on there. So instead of if you find yourself applying to Bitcoin jobs over and over again, submitting your resume, not getting right. a call back and say the next option, go on the offense, uh, hit up people like Dennis and go from there, provide value in the space. So I'm really excited for what you guys are doing. Like I said, we're a year in now uh, from you guys officially launched. Can you tell me like kind of what led up to you co-founding the Satoshi Action Fund? I know you were working on your, your, uh, your podcast. You were doing some clubhouse things, education things back then. Yeah, what was the impetus to lead up to it? And give me an overview of what you guys do too. Yeah, so in the political space, there is kind of a few different areas that you can lean into. And I would say the, the two most popular ways to lean in is either to do, to kind of like work as a point person on policy in DC. So you see a lot of groups doing this. You have, you know, the Digital Chamber, the Blockchain Association, um, mm -hmm. and, and several others that are kind of like this, this point person for a variety of different industry players. Now, obviously those, those organizations are, are crypto broadly, but there are, it's common to find like someone who's kind of a focal point. And you'll find there are a lot of Bitcoin companies, you know, underneath of those the blockchain association, the digital chamber type type companies. Um, mm. And that's a really popular you know, way to approach the political system. Go to DC, be a point, be a point organization um, or go to go be a lobbyist in DC. Really common. Some people will just say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm lobbying on these issues, you know, support my work and, and fund it. That's another uh, popular route as well. What, what we are doing is a little bit different. There are a lot of similarities, but it's done all at the majority, almost all at the state level. So the states we see are a really unique opportunity because uh, in the United States, unlike most governance models across the world, the states, um, which is underneath the federal system, have a lot more power than uh, political subdivisions in other parts of the world. So mm -hmm. if you go to Canada, you have the provinces. The provinces are a political subdivision of the federal government. In the United States, it's it's kind of interesting, like, because you have this federalist system where the states are coming together and granting powers to the federal government, which mm -hmm. inherently allows the states to have a lot of their own rights and their own systems where they can go their own way. Um, a couple of examples of this would be like online gambling. Some states allow it, some states don't. Mm -hmm. um, a really, really good example of how to be effective at the state level is what the marijuana industry has done over the last 15 years, 10, 15 years. So for everybody knows war on drugs. Um, wasn't that long ago when it started, but it became, um, you know, a federal crime to possess, distribute, um, grow marijuana, and it was a very aggressive anti-drug policy. Eventually, there you wouldn't have found a, you know, marijuana business in the entire country. Mm -hmm. uh, well, in about 2010, 2011, there was a really strong campaign to bring um, a resurgence of marijuana in the United States, and they and they didn't do it through saying, you know, oh, I should be able to smoke whatever I want. I should be able to control what substances I consume. Um, they did it by talking about the economic benefits, primarily economic benefits of mar the marijuana industry. And they went mm -hmm. state by state. They started in blue states. So particularly they started in Oregon, Colorado, and Washington, California. And they talked a lot about the economic benefits of the marijuana industry. Ultimately in 2012, they passed 
uh, pro-marijuana legislation into law in Washington and Colorado. And then since then, almost 75% plus of the country and more states are coming on board as time goes on. Um, are passing pro marijuana legislation, whether that be recreational or or, or medical, it's 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 grown quite rapidly, even into the, a lot of the red states as well. Right. So we we at Satoshi Action Fund are taking that same model, which has been proven to work, and we are following it. And I feel like we're following it very effectively. We're going state by state. Um, in this instance, we happen to be starting in the red states. It's just a little bit easier to to move the conversations there um, for a couple of reasons. One is because um, rents, some red states are a little less populated. Um, they're in so a lot of oftentimes there is some um, states in the middle of America that are kind of more left behind economically. So they have a stronger drive for this sorts of uh, participation. And then mm-hmm. um, there is some folks, obviously, within the Democrat Party who have concerns over the energy use of, of Bitcoin um, mining, particularly. Um, we do think there is a um, going to be a movement that will shift that and that mm-hmm. Democrats will start to see the value of Bitcoin mining as an environmental mechanism to clean up the environment and to also balance the grid. Uh, but we're not there yet. So we're starting with the states that we can be effective in now. Um, mm. And that is Arkansas and Montana. And just like with the marijuana industry, we're starting, we started in two states, we won two states. Uh, and now we're going to be continuing to move forward. We are, we can razor close to passing the same policy in Missouri. Uh, the, no, by no fault of our own, the, the, unfortunately in Missouri, there's a, you know, kind of a dynamic where one senator can get up and filibuster and kind of shut the whole thing down. So yeah. that did happen in the last several three or four days of of session, and ultimately yeah. the, the bill was not able to get across the finish line um, at that point. We do feel very confident about bringing it back next year, though, because with Missouri, um, we passed it through the committee in the House and the Senate with flying colors. So we're not we're not worried about our bill passing. We just need to start it earlier in the year, and we think we can get it done. We also have states like Ohio, you know, Florida, North and South Carolina, um, Georgia, uh, Oklahoma, Nebraska, which are all either reaching out to us very actively or we are involved in very uh, active conversations in trying to pass the policy there. So we do think that this right to mind bill, which you pass in Montana and Arkansas, will continue to pass across the rest of the country. And we may also see, you know, what I would call it like dub it right to mind 2.0, where we start to see the, the evolution of that policy, where it starts to encompass more work and become a broader picture for the Bitcoin mining space. But um, that's the that's the strategy that we've taken there. Again, going back, there are kind of different ways you can get involved in the political space. Um, Mm. We chose this approach because we thought it was the most effective. Um, We launched Satoshi Action Fund because we saw that there was also no one else doing it. Literally no one else is doing it. There are individual, you know, blockchain associations, uh, Texas Blockchain Council, you know, uh, there's a uh, Ohio has an initiative there. Or excuse me, um, the Ohio Blockchain Council. Then in North Carolina has an initiative that's like actually ran through the government itself. It's not even an independent organization. Um, but all these little state level organizations, um, some of them small, some of them large, they are focused just on their state. So we wanted something that was more well coordinated and then focused on Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Um, and there was Again, no one doing that specific approach. Most right. of the efforts have been focused in D.C., which we go to D.C. to educate. We're going back soon to do some book handouts and um, to do a happy hour, and it's going to be a great time. We're not actively lobbying in D.C. currently, although, we again, we do have conversations, but we believe that D.C. is going to be a very slow, long uh, game to play, and we want to start scoring wins for Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining you know, today, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great strategy, to be honest. And I 
agree with you on focusing on the the red states first here. Just seems like that's the easier end. And after you get a couple under your belt, that's when you go into the the rest of the states and say, here, here's the uh, the framework you use, and they can just adopt it. Um, great, yeah. So I'm curious. Besides, just I guess the boots on the ground advocacy, going state to state, trying to get them to adopt this bill. What else is Satoshi Action Fund doing? Because I did see there's some education initiatives on your website as well. Yeah, that's correct. So we recently launched Satoshi Action Education, which is the research arm of mm -hmm. Satoshi Action, and it is led by Dr. Murray Rudd. And Dr. Murray Rudd has you know, decades of experience in academic and peer-reviewed research. Mm -hmm. uh, and he is an expert in you know the field in, in a multiple different ways as a you know economics and uh, environmental background, mm -hmm. but he will be leading our research um, you know research phase that we're pushing forward right now. One of the main things that we're going to be doing is making sure that we develop a system where not only the policymakers but the industry um, and also academia are involved in developing the best way to approach research. Um, so that's one of the main goals for our organization. We really think that there is a key need for better research in the space because all, right now it's great, right? We're going to these kind of what I would consider to be easier states to go after. We're doing it yeah. strategically that way. Um, but we're going to start to get, eventually we're going to get into states where it, there's a little bit more uh, difficulty to get bills passed. Mm -hmm. And so what we'll need in those states is peer reviewed research to back up some of the claims that we're making. Yeah. So that in order we, so that we can get our work done, and th that's yeah. the same is true for DC. If you want to get things done in DC, if you want to be effective, you need to have this collaborative effort taking place on research that mm -hmm. eventually like moves into the policy space and influences the policy world. So that is a key initiative for us, and we are very successfully working towards that. We have um, you know some announcements which will probably take place during mining disrupt. Hopefully, uh, that's going to be the end of July. So I'm going to also be emceeing that conference. I'm very excited about it. It's oh, the great. largest and most important uh, Bitcoin mining conference in the world, but mm. we will have some really important research stuff coming out. So far, we've already got um, our uh, you know, research leader, uh, Murray, Dr. Murray Rudd. He is a editor for a journal where there is a special issue out for Bit anyone that's in the Bitcoin space. If you're interested in research, and I guess this is a potential you know job opportunity so to speak for yeah. those that are in the research yeah. space but if you're involved in research or you care about research on bitcoin particularly bitcoin mining mm -hmm. uh, please reach out to us we are actively looking for those that have the ability to add research capacity to the work that we are doing because the one limitation we do have in the bitcoin space is access to research capacity people that actually want to do uh, research on bitcoin and bitcoin mining although some of the work that we're doing behind the scenes We'll be changing that. We're going to be creating some incentives to help drive more research to the space. But um, yeah, please reach out if you if you're interested in that type of research. Yeah, I love that. We'll, we'll definitely clip it and get that out as soon as possible. Get some eyes, eyeballs on it. Uh, yeah, I'm curious. What's your what's your go to? Let's say you're pitching a politician or someone in the political spectrum that's not as knowledgeable about Bitcoin. How do you usually like introduce it to them? How do you frame it? How do you get them to eventually adopt it too? Like, what's your pitch? So in the political space, you know, we, as I mentioned with the you know, same, same tie-in as the marijuana industry, we focus on the benefits that this technology has to offer, you know, from the marijuana and industry, the they talked a lot about, yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. The economic benefits are huge. Um, so with marijuana, it was like, you know, higher tax revenue, higher uh, pro property values, low reduced crime was uh, one that worked really well for them. Uh, for us, it is 
jobs, particularly rural jobs, uh, local mm -hmm. investment, grid stability, environmental cleanup, uh, and the ability to enhance green and carbon-free energy projects. And those five benefits, there's not a policymaker on the planet who is not interested in bringing those items to their state. So when we talk about Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin, but particularly we focus on Bitcoin mining, we talk about those benefits that it has to offer to the state. And that's right. usually what drives the conversation forward for us and mm -hmm. gets them interested. One thing that people have to remember when you're talking to a policymaker or someone in the political world is there's like a million things going on all over, right? They have the border, they have war, they have, you know, crime, they have, you know, uh, just went through a massive shutdown. Like there's all of these concerns that people care about and that are there and getting engaged on. Mm -hmm. And so it's very difficult for them to be very super deep on understanding Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining. It's better to just... Give them like, what is it that you get out of this? Why would you want to focus on Bitcoin mining? Because you get jobs, local investment, grid stability, environmental right. cleanup, and the ability to enhance green and carbon-free energy projects. So we, 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 we push that line quite a bit, um, and it's very effective, and we tend to have a lot of success with it. Have you come across any politicians yet, aside from uh, Cynthia Lummis, that would consider themselves maybe like a Bitcoin maximalist of some sort? That is pretty rare. I think that it's pretty uncommon for folks to be in that position. And I would say it's probably unlikely that you'll see much of that happen mm -hmm. um, in the United States. There is a very, they, and there may, they, they may exist. There may, they may exist in, um, uh, in larger numbers than we realize. And I have some people that I'm, you know, I wouldn't say suspicious of, but I, I suspect are very much, you know, squarely on the Bitcoin only side. Yeah, uh, but generally, that people won't take that position because it is kind of one of those situations where it's frowned upon to be tech, um, you know, kind of siloed into one type of tech within an industry. Sure. And when you're writing policy and you're advocating for an issue, you generally want to be tech neutral. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes it much harder to pass policy if you are being very specific. Now, I think. As time goes on, that could change, uh, particularly around Bitcoin as it pertains to Bitcoin mining. But you'll mm -hmm. see even in some of the bills that we pass, you know, it says virtual currency data center. Like people don't generally like when policy singles out one specific coin or one specific project. It, it feels like you're almost like in, in some ways, it almost feels like you are to the people that are passing the policy, like trying to just benefit yourself. Like you only care about the one thing you're you're working on. And you want to create, you know, what are more or less like regulatory silos for your one company or your one project. Mm -hmm. um, most most states, most jurisdictions don't like that approach. So it's better to come in with a tech neutral approach and that you'll see that take place in just even the way that policymakers yeah. speak about Bitcoin. They'll say digital assets, right? Yeah. Or it's oftentimes why they, you hear them say cryptocurrency, although the term digital asset is much more popular in the political space. So yeah. um, I have my suspicions on some folks that are much more on the you know kind of Bitcoin only side, yeah. but I don't think you'll see very many politicians come out and say, you know, Bitcoin only, Bitcoin only, Bitcoin yeah. only, like I'm a maximalist. That's going to be pretty rare, but it is very valuable that we have Senator Lummis very squarely on the Bitcoin side um, and was really glad to see her in Miami. She, you know, she came to a dinner of ours mm -hmm. and we are very big fans of her and her work and, and everything that she's doing for the space. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's great to know. Um, curious as well. You mentioned jobs, right? Especially in the Bitcoin mining space and what Bitcoin mining can do for, for state and local economies too. 
Do you have any numbers of currently like how many jobs Bitcoin mining is creating in the U.S. and what do you expect the forecast to be in the future? Yeah, so so currently there are estimates that range, you know, anywhere from twenty thousand to thirty thousand jobs here in the United States uh, in the Bitcoin mining sector, mm-hmm. and you know the vast majority of those jobs um, are being created in Texas right now. We also see some, you know, taking place in Georgia. Uh, and a few other states that have some high percentage of hash rate. Um, but I do believe that this will increase as time goes on, um, especially as uh, energy companies start to get into the Bitcoin mining space. Mm-hmm. They'll start to see, you know, energy companies themselves hiring folks that understand the Bitcoin mining space. In fact, I believe it was Next Era recently put out a job listing for um, uh, a Bitcoin mining technician. I don't remember the exact job title, but they were hiring folks that have a background in Bitcoin mining. So. Mm-hmm. That's really valuable, and I think that's going to increase over time, and the sector is just going to grow. One of the other things that people need to, you know, take into consideration when you're when you're thinking about the job growth of Bitcoin mining or the economic impact is also the secondary impact. Because the more Bitcoin miners you have, um, the more facilities we have, the more electricians we'll need, the more mm-hmm. um, transformers that need to be built, and when the more yeah. transformers are built, those those are jobs that, as well. So. There are a lot of second and third order impacts of Bitcoin mining job creation, uh, particularly when you go to rural communities where even 10 or 20 jobs will totally you know, make a massive impact or revitalize a community that yeah. is small. You know, a city of 100 people, a city of 500 people or 1,000 people, you know, 10, 50, 100 jobs is a huge impact. In particular, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a town in uh, Texas, in Corsicana, Texas, where Riot developed their, one of their large facilities. Yeah. And in that town... You know, now the restaurant is full and then the restaurant is full and then the hotel is full. And when the hotel and the restaurant are full, you know, we're starting to see some more money stay within that community. And the great thing, too, about also Bitcoin mining jobs is they can hire directly from the communities that they are are building these facilities within, which is very rare for tech jobs. Usually tech jobs, they get created and they import employees from outside their their system because they need to bring the talent in in order to manage those positions. Mm-hmm. Well, within the case of Bitcoin mining, you, it's very low training in order to get to the place to be able to ma- manage a Bitcoin mining operation. So they're mm-hmm. able to train locally and hire locally, um, which is really good to see, especially when you're talking about some of these places that have really been left behind over the last 10, 20, 30 years, some of these very yeah. rural parts of the world. Yeah. So you mentioned like, what, 20, 30,000 jobs or so in the US. And I, I missed if you said anything about forecasting. What do you expect maybe over the next five, 10 years or so uh, as this industry grows? You know, I mean, that's it's that would be me just kind of putting a number out, throwing a number out. It's really hard to know for sure well, how many jobs. Well, the number is up and growth. It's, right? Yeah, I, I absolutely believe the number is going to be going up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's just been, what, I think two, two, what are we, two years in almost, barely, where uh, the vast majority of Bitcoin mining came to the United States. So all that job growth really, has taken yeah. place in yeah. the last two years. And this industry is just getting started. So for an industry that's just getting started and which is still kind of different decentralized across the planet, like we could be creating policies that brings more jobs here to the United States if we're cognizant of how to, you know, of trying to accomplish that mission. Right now, some things have been causing people to be, you know, wanting to look elsewhere for Bitcoin mining operations. Um, but fortunately, with the the delay on getting the Dame tax passed with killing SB 1751, which is one of the efforts that we were participated in in Texas. Uh, which would have been very bad for Bitcoin mining in that state. Mm-hmm. More people are starting to say, okay, wait, maybe we we should still be giving the United States the credit it deserves on 
being one of the best places to mine Bitcoin, especially when it comes to you know political jurisdictions. You can go to a lot of other places where it, things might sound great on paper, but you get there and you know you're paying 10, 20 percent extra just on top for you know essentially what is just pure corruption, right? A lot of yeah. countries you just have to pay an extra percentage to whoever the local power authority is. Not not electricity. I mean like le- you know you know actual like political power um, on the local area. Uh, to be able to operate. So people need to take that into consideration. Not saying that's everywhere, but you will take that, that, that will be an instance or where there's no sort of, there's no sort of like political discourse. If something bad happens or starts to happen that you don't like, Mm. there's no sort of system to like fight that sort of political attack. We're in the United States. We have a lot of protections for individuals and for companies. Um, So I do feel like even if you could find something that's slightly cheaper somewhere else that, because of the political system that we have here, there's better protections for your company yeah, long term, um, especially with prop, particularly with property rights. Yeah, because I mean, honestly, if you're in the middle of the jungle of nowhere uh, and the local government decides to see your right. your Bitcoin mine, you can't really do anything about it. They're going to take it, and you're not protected by uh, the law. So it gives miners all the right reasons to come locate in the U.S. where we have private property rights and can protect against that. So you mentioned yep. earlier that you have possible job opportunity um, at the intersection of like Bitcoin mining, the environment, uh, politics uh, for like a research role. Is there anything else upcoming that you're going to need help with that someone listening right now and start thinking about how they can add value to the space? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that you're going to see not only for us, but um, in the future, you're going to see us and companies out in the space hire for uh, business development rules, which is very common. Um, right. So if you particularly know a lot about Bitcoin mining, and if you know a lot of Bitcoin miners, and you're you know good at communications, that business development rules are very popular, um, not only for us, but Bitcoin miners hire a lot of folks in the business development right. world. And so that's a, that's a very common place to get hired. I think operations as well, as a lot of these companies grow and scale, including ourselves, um, you know, Operations will be very, very important and being able to find someone who is really super reliable, dependable, understands how to schedule various tasks and various meetings, um, is good at maybe helping also with events. Those are going to be increasingly popular and important roles in the space. And I I assume not right now, um, but in the near term, well, we will need to be expanding those teams. And the same goes with the political team as well, right? Like right now we are able to accomplish a lot of what we need to do in order to hit our benchmarks and our goals mm-hmm. for the organization, but that won't always be true. So if you're highly politically engaged, if you have a very strong background uh, in, in state level governments, state politics, that will be an area where we, you know, we may look to hire in the future. You know, if you have a political, you've had political experience, you've been a part of, you know, state level organizations, whether they be on the left or the right, particularly we're interested, you know, especially as we move forward, I think, in the coming years, we're going to be interested in folks that have had activity on in blue states. Um, you know, you know, definitely reach out to us because we will be bringing people on that can help us with those sorts of conversations. Yeah, so reach out to Dennis directly, or even nothing stopping you from creating a blog or a podcast, something related to Bitcoin politics. Start putting in the work yourself because that'll make it that much easier uh, when you have that conversation with Dennis or another leader in the space uh, to work full time in the space having that proof of work behind you, right? Yeah, I, I can't, I can't um, more endorse the statement of putting your proof of work out there. Yeah, yeah, that's what Bitcoin's all about, especially you being in the mining space. 
Um, cool. As we wrap this up here, uh, one more question for you. So someone looking to get, let's just say in the Bitcoin mining space more generally, what's a piece of advice you give to them? I think you've given a lot of it, you know, it's really just putting in the time and building those relationships. You can do that at conferences. You can do that at Twitter, uh, you know, leave your, uh, say at Twitter, on Twitter, I should say. Uh, mm -hmm. You can you can DM people directly. You know, my DMs are always open. Um, I read them all. I don't necessarily answer them all, but I, I definitely read them all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's two, it's two of the, the same two people that I started working with who were kind of initially, we started on working on side projects for free and then became part of the organization. Both yeah. reached out to me on Twitter. Like we engaged on Twitter and then, and then met in real life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say use that as a tool. LinkedIn is another great tool that a lot of Bitcoiners don't utilize enough as well too. Right. Um, I think it's a very mm -hmm. powerful tool because you can search by company mm -hmm. and you can, you know, you know, search by job spot that people have. They, they also, you know, hire on there as well. Sometimes too, they, people will hire through LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. I would just say that, utilize all the tools you have in front of you. You've got, you've got social media, you've got all these different events that are taking place in the Bitcoin space. And you know who all these companies are that are operating. I would just say, start trying to figure out how you can build those relationships um, as soon as possible. That's, that's going to be the best tool that you can have. And then also becoming very knowledgeable about the sector that someone operates in. So if I'm not going to be looking for folks that care a lot about wallet or software design. Like, but if that's your thing, if you're, if you like coding um, and you think you could be a coder, like you should know a lot about all the wallets that are out there. If that's the space you want to go into. Um, same with lightning. If you are wanting to get into the lightning space and work on lightning adoption, you know, go learn a lot about what's going on um, on a granular level within the business sector yep. and have that knowledge and understanding of what's taking place. Those are going to be really powerful tools. Once you get into dialogue, with someone when you actually get someone like me or, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big job creator, so I'm, I'm not creating um, thousands and thousands of jobs. There are other people out there that are creating quite a few, few more jobs than me. But when you get someone that is a job creator on a call, like knowing that knowing the ins and outs of the industry is going to go a long way. And we'll also just carry you through the conversation and, and probably create some good talking points for you when you're having a dialogue with those folks. Yeah, and as a someone in a hiring position too, like you know if someone understands Bitcoin or mining, uh, just by the vocabulary they use. Yeah. So you need to put in that work, do your research for when the time's ready, you're on that call. Uh, you yeah. can talk with your professional and show you actually know. And don't be afraid to take calls. Like, don't think I, this is the thing that I was think I talked a little bit about earlier too. Don't wait till you think you're ready. Like, just start having conversations with folks. Start asking for advice like and then you'll start to notice when you're in that position and you'll start to feel like there's a, a smoother transition to you know potentially applying for a job or getting a job with someone so right. i would just say don't wait like always just grow your experience as much as you possibly can as rapidly as you possibly can yeah could not agree more yeah well dennis uh that's it for today thank you so much for your time and joining me here on the podcast it was great catching up with you so if someone listening right now uh, wants to get in contact with you, how can they find out, how can they reach you and find out more about Satoshi Action Fund? And can you touch upon the uh, the mining conference as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Eric, thank you for having me on. It's great to see you. Uh, it's It's been a while since we connected. So I was glad to come on here and chat with you. And, and congratulations on um, launching your new endeavor and working towards it and being successful. Um, uh, people are going to, we'll have to reverse the rules here and ask you how to create jobs <laughs> soon too, or ask how to get a job. Um, 
So you can reach out to me at, on my Twitter. As I mentioned, my DMs are open. It's at Dennis underscore Porter underscore. Um, and then also you can reach out to us at Satoshi Action by emailing us at info at satoshiaction.io. If you're interested in the conference where we will also be putting on a fundraiser, you can uh, reach out to either of those you know, contacts directly, my Twitter DMs or my e our email. Um, at Mining Disrupt is going to be the conference coming up in July. And we will, I will be emceeing that and my organization will be there with an expo and we'll be, I'll be speaking and we will also have a fundraiser event. It'll be a boat party with poker. And I think it will be a really great time. A lot of Bitcoiners love, uh, love poker. So we're trying to get them all on a boat to play, uh, to play together. And we're, it's, we expect to sell out. So if you're interested in those sorts of tickets and that conference, I would just say, reach out to me really quickly as well. Um, um, we plan to sell out of that event pretty rapidly. Yeah, I'm glad you put it on my radar, actually, because I'm now contemplating going. So hopefully anyone listening to this, grab your ticket, come see both Dennis and myself at the uh, Mining District Conference. So thank you so much for your time again. I uh, hope we'll uh, talk soon here. See you, Eric. Hey, guys, real quick. The point of this podcast is to hear stories about people navigating within the Bitcoin industry. So if you're looking to work in Bitcoin or if you're a Bitcoin company looking to hire at the moment, we are the leading recruiting firm focused on the Bitcoin industry. Head over to our website and learn more at www.bitcointalent.co.